Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. We that which we started this morning on the person Abraham, one of the Old Testament patriarchs, certainly one of the greatest of Old Testament men. I don't know, he might be to you the greatest of the Old Testament characters. He certainly would be high on my list. I'm not sure that I would put him number one. I think probably Moses to me is number one, but Abraham certainly follows very close and may very well be the person that I would put in the number two position. Uh, You might switch them around some other way. Let me, we're going to the 18th chapter, by the way, and while you're finding that, let me give you a little synopsis of what we did this morning. And for the benefit of some of you who weren't here this morning, good to see Fred here tonight, and, and Dreama, I'll call her number two, since we have two Dreamas. Uh, she was redhead the first time I saw her, and I had trouble uh, re- remembering. And it's, oh, no, blonde, that's right. She's, Pardon me, you were blonde the first time, and now you're a redhead. I, I, well, it's almost. It's getting that. Well, it's good to see you. We've missed you a few Sundays. And uh, Jesse's back tonight. Glad to have you. Well, good to have all of you. Abraham was, as we said this morning, born in the area of the Persian Gulf where the conflict is now going on might have actually been in Iraq or maybe in Kuwait, but very close to that border. But God had instructed him to leave his homeland and to go somewhere else where he would lead him. And he took Lot with him, and who was his brother's son. And his brother had died a young man and left uh, an orphan boy, and so Abraham adopts him and takes him along. And they went into what is what has come to be known as the land of Canaan. They didn't know where they were going. And the first thing that Abraham did when he got there was to worship. And we made some comments about the need to worship privately as a family and certainly as a church in all areas of our life, particularly when we have a drastic change, whether it's a change for the better or the change for the worse. When there is a change that calls for worship, it calls for worship, and we ought to do it. Now, we saw the weaknesses of Abraham and talked about the fact that sometimes we put people on a pedestal and then they fall off of it, and Abraham does that for us in which he lied about his wife being his wife and called her his sister. It was a white lie. It was a half-truth. She really was his half-sister. They had both the same, they had both of them had the same father, but they had different mothers, so they were half-brother and sister, and they married. So she, in fact, was not only his wife, but she was his sister. But that was misleading in the way that it was stated and should not have been stated that way. A misleading response is as bad as a lie. 
because it intends to deceive, and that's exactly what Abraham was intending to do, and so it flawed his character in our minds in that he intended to deceive the people to whom he talked about who she really was. Well, we find his character coming strong again in that when the episode came with Lot, who was his nephew, and there wasn't enough grass for all the cattle, that they separated congenially and went their own way. And when the, the enemy captured Lot out of the city of Sodom, Abraham stepped up, and, and we find there the strength of the family, that even in times of difficulties, the family still has a tremendous drawing card to stick together. And you probably have gone through that. Brothers and sisters fight like cats and dogs until some outsider steps in, and then you couldn't separate them for love or money. They draw together like, like a mighty army, and that's good. And Abraham was, was such a great person in his generosity that he would come to the rescue of a nephew who probably didn't deserve to be rescued, if you come right down to it. And there's where we find him now as we start this evening's message. Uh, one of the things that we discovered about Abraham this morning was that he didn't have any, any legal children by his wife. He had a child by a concubine, by a servant of Sarah, his wife. He had a, uh, a very fine man in his employee, his steward, that... Uh, was an outstanding individual, and Abraham wanted to make him the heir to all that he had, or his uh, son by Hagar, Ishmael, if that were God's will. But God rejected both of those ideas and told Abraham that he being a hundred years old, 99 at the time the statement was made, was going to have a child. And Sarah, his wife, was was 90, uh, well, well beyond the childbearing age, and Abraham rolled on the ground in laughter when he was told about it. He couldn't believe it at all. Now, that hasn't happened yet as we begin chapter 18, but I want you to, to notice that uh, what we have here in the chapter that the Lord appeared unto him, that is, unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre, and as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, Abraham sitting in his tent, enjoying the coolness of the tent shade during the heat of the day, and who would appear but the Lord himself? This is Jesus Christ coming into the picture, who has not yet, I should probably correct myself, and say this is Christ because the person Jesus has not yet been born. That was his human name. This is the Son of God who appears on the scene in the life of Abraham, and with him were two other people. Verse 2, And he lifted up his eyes, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and looked, and three men stood by him. Right there they were. What were the purpose of these three people coming? One of them we now know is the Lord. And the men, and we won't read all of this particular passage of Scripture, but the men were there, and Abraham says, 
why don't you come in and rest and let me prepare you a little food? Uh, verse 5 calls it a morsel, and they accept his invitation, and so they sit in the door of the tent, and Abraham goes inside and says to Sarah, get a meal ready, we've got company. And Abraham runs out to his herd, and he finds a calf that is uh, very tender and good, one, one uh, that was well-fed and fat, and he has his young men kill it, and he makes butter and milk and, and, ve- and uh, the, the calf, uh, veal, and sets it all before his guests and feeds them well. And the thing that happens is, at the close of that meal, that one of these men says to Abraham, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a child. Ninety years old, and she's going to have a child. And Sarah was inside the tent door, and she heard the conversation, and she laughed. Verse 12 tells us she laughed. Not out loud, but within herself. You know, have you ever laughed inside? Matter of fact, I've laughed inside. Well, I wanted to laugh out loud so bad I could hardly stand it. And it's usually at the wrong time. Sometimes in church. Really want to laugh and can't do it. And, you know, you get that uh, laughing inside so nobody hears you. But you're just busted. And Sarah takes this attitude, she laughs within herself, this is funny to her. And one of the men, verse 14, says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Not a word's been spoken. Sarah didn't say anything out loud. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Of course, the Lord knew. Why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? There is a real message just in those words for us to recognize that if the Lord says it, he can bring it about. It makes no difference whether we are capable of comprehending it or not. It makes no difference. We don't have to understand. All we have to do is believe. All we have to do is accept God and His Word. All we have to have is faith. God does the miracle. All He expects us to do is just believe that it will happen. The Lord said to Abraham and to Sarah, you're going to have a child. Sarah laughs. And then she lied. Verse 15. I laugh not. Not me. You didn't hear me laugh. Another message. God hears what's inside. We don't have to make it audible. Did you hear me? We can sin internally that is never seen by man and God knows it. We can think thoughts 
that are contrary to the will of God and hide them from everybody on earth. We can't hide them from God. For you see, God looks on the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance, so the scripture says, but he looks on the heart. God can see through us as if we were transparent. He can read us like a book. He understands everything that's in our heart and in our mind. He knows all the good that we think and all the bad that we think. He knew that Sarah had laughed although she had never uttered the, the, the first little snicker out loud. She, he knew that she did not believe what he had said. And she lied about it. Be sure when we lie to God, we're going to have our lie revealed. And Sarah said, oh, I didn't laugh. And the Lord said, but you did laugh. Now I can remember when I was in school, and I pulled those things that everybody pulls, and the teacher confronts me and says, why did you do that? I didn't do that. And she says, but you did do that. And my face turned every shade of the rainbow, especially red. I was embarrassed to my toenails because I had been caught in my own uh, sinfulness or wickedness or naughtiness. And she knew it and I knew it and there was no way to escape that fact. We have a tendency to develop a mechanism whereby we can lie to each other and get by with it. You can tell me a lie and I'll believe it. My wife tells me that I am the worst person along that line. If anybody tells me something, I believe it. I'll confess to you that's exactly the way I, I, I am. You tell it to me and I will believe it. I think that's the way we ought to be with each other. If I say it, I expect you to believe it. Now, when you catch me or I catch you, then we have reason to call it to each other's attention. But the Lord here did not uh, do anything with Sarah, but call it to her attention that she had been caught in her lie. And the Lord will chasten us. You see, we are not responsible for chastening each other, disciplining each other. That's the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. You know what we want to do? We want to be God and dish out the punishment to each other. Now I can figure out, Danny, I can figure out your punishment. I know how many lashes you ought to get. You see, I'm well versed in your punishment, so I think. And you could probably say, yeah, and I can do the same with you. But when it boils right down to the fact, neither one of us are capable of doing that. Because it belongs to God. I hope you don't mind. You're on the front row. I can get to you real good here, see. I can use you. I'll get Dillard next. He's over here. Anybody sitting on the front row is fair game. Yeah. Now, 
The fact is out in the life of Abraham and Sarah that 190 years old now, 100 and 190, they're going to have a child. But this isn't the only reason that they have come to the tent of Abraham. And down in verse 17, the Lord inquires of himself, basically, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Should I keep from Abraham my reason for coming? And the answer obviously is no. The Lord is going to reveal to Abraham that which is about to happen. The Lord speaks more plainly to some of us than he does to others of us because of the relationship that we have. If you are close to the Lord, you can expect the Lord to reveal things to you that he won't reveal to anybody else. Because you're capable of receiving it. You walk close enough to comprehend and understand God's mind and heart. What do two good friends do but share secrets? And what do people who are strained in their relationship with each other do but keep things from each other? The closer we are to the Lord, the more likely it is that he's going to share with us his own heart. And that's what he does here. He inquires of himself, shall I share with Abraham that which I'm about to do? And his conclusion is, yes, I think I must share that. And so he says in verse 20 to Abraham that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is very great because their sin is very grievous. Now this gets Abraham's attention. Why? Because his nephew Lot's living there. You remember this morning we talked about the fact that, that they separated and Abraham gave Lot the, the choice and Lot looked at the fine beautiful plains and remembered that down there was a couple of cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. They were exciting places to go. He'd been down there to visit he saw their lifestyle. He knew what was going on inside those cities. Sodom, we get the term sodomy from that very town because they were immoral to the core. Gomorrah was no better. They were absolutely immoral. Homosexuality was a way of life in those cities. Anything that was immoral or wrong or against the law took place there. And Lot enjoyed and liked that kind of lifestyle. He thought it was exciting. He was a young man. This usually takes place in the life of, of people, particularly teenagers, when they first get away from home. They've got the opportunity to be on their own and they want to go where there is excitement. Supposedly that's that's the thing to do. To get into the lifestyle that uh, people are offering as something good and great. And this is what Lot did. And so when, when uh, the Lord said to Abraham, the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and is already ascended all the way up to heaven. I heard it up there. The cry is great. Their sin is very grievous. And Abraham's ears perked up. And he began to turn over in his mind. What on earth is going on here? Why has the Lord come down? And he's going to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. What's going to happen to my nephew Lot and his family? He began to be concerned about his family again. I want you to notice something in verse 21. The Lord talking about the fact that this 
cry going up to heaven from Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, Now, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. I've heard all of this. I'm going personally, listen to this, I am going to personally go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and see for myself. This is the Lord talking. Do you see that? The Lord left heaven and went down to Sodom and Gomorrah to see for himself. If the sin were as great as the cry that was coming out of there appeared to make it. I've wondered more than one time, I have wondered how many times the Lord has made a personal visit to us, to our church, to our community, to your home and to mine, to see if things are like they appear. To see if the cry coming out of Olive Branch to heaven is like it sounds. Did he someday come walking into our congregation and sit down and listen to us? Did he go to your home and to mine and pay attention to the lifestyle that we had? Did he go to our community and see what it was like and draw the conclusion, the cry coming out of there means that, yes, it matches. It's as bad as that sounds. Or did he finally say, well, they're a whole lot better than it sounds like they are. But he made a personal visit. He didn't send an angel. In this case, he brought two angels with him, but he was making a personal visit. Now, let's get back to Abraham. Gee, I'm out of time. Abraham does a strange thing. As the two angels and the Lord leave his tent and start down the road to Sodom, Abraham steps in between them. He steps in front of the Lord as if to stop him in his tracks and begins to make a plea. You notice that? Verse 22, last phrase, Abraham stood yet before the Lord and the inference is that he simply stepped right out in front of the Lord and confronted him as he started to leave and began to make his plea. He says in verse 23, Will you, we're speaking to the Lord, destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, this is strong language. He goes on to say, Now suppose, verse 24, peradventure, Suppose you get down there to Sodom and you find out that there are 50 righteous people inside that city. Would you destroy that city and 50 righteous people with it? Are you going to make those 50 pay the price because of all the other wickedness within it? I'm not so much concerned about the Lord's answer as I am about the impact that Abraham is having on the Lord. Abraham has stopped the Lord in his tracks and is making a plea. Now that's what a Christian ought to do. 
be able to get the Lord's attention and pray to Him and get the Lord to hear and respond because somebody has stopped the Lord in His tracks and said, hey, we have a need here. And I think that's what Mary did. And got His attention. And the Lord responded, no, if there are 50 righteous people in that city, I won't destroy it. Why did he make that decision? Because Abraham convinced him that it was the right decision to make. That was not the Lord's purpose. The Lord was going to destroy that city and everybody in it because of their wickedness. And Abraham convinced him, I won't do it if there are 50. Why? Because Abraham was so dynamic in his plea that the Lord had to change his mind. That's why. Now, Abraham goes on to say, well, now, wait a minute. Maybe there won't be 50. How about 45? Would you destroy it for 45? And, and of course, the impact is still there. And the Lord said, all right, not for 45. And Abraham says, well, now, he's not so convinced that there's that many. Suppose there's only 40. I won't do it. 30. I won't do it. 20. I won't do it. 10. I won't do it. Abraham has, has talked the Lord all the way down to 10 people. For 10 people, he will not destroy the city. And what brought it about? The dynamic influence, the impact of Abraham upon the Lord. I'm saying to you that Christian people have the capability of influencing God's decisions. Now, I'm not sure all of you are going to agree with that. But what I'm saying to you is we have power with God if we use it. If we use it. We can get from God for the benefit of somebody else if we use it. Abraham has a problem, however. I have always wondered, suppose he'd gone all the way down to one. And that's all we really know of in that city of Sodom that was righteous was Lot himself. The scripture says he was a righteous man. We don't know that his wife was righteous. We don't know that his children were righteous. As a matter of fact, they probably were not. None of them. There was probably only one righteous person in that whole city, and that was Lot himself. Why did Abraham stop? I don't know why he stopped. Maybe he felt that he pressed his luck far enough. And that's not a good word to use, but I'll use it here for the lack of knowing something else. He had pressed the Lord as far as maybe he thought that he ought to go. Maybe he thought, surely there are ten people in that city who serve God. He thought, surely Lot and his wife and his children and their wives would surely be righteous. That's probably why he stopped. The trouble is, they weren't righteous. Only one in that whole city was righteous. But in my mind, I am convinced that the way Abraham was going with the Lord, he could have saved that city by pleading the cause for one man. And the Lord would not have destroyed it. Based upon the plea of Abraham. 
Well, we know the story. How Abraham left off his plea and the men went on their way. They went to Sodom. They found Lot, who was now one of the leaders of the city, sitting at the gate, meaning that he was actually in a position of authority, who accepted these men and took them home with him. And the people of the city saw all these strange characters come into town that they didn't know and went to lodge in the house of Lot. At this time, there are only the two angels. The Lord is not in the picture at this point in time. They went to his house and stayed there. And the men of the city came knocking on the door and said, Bring these men out that we might know them. And that didn't mean get acquainted. They wanted to be immoral. And Lot insisted that they leave them alone, and the men would not. And finally, the angel stepped forward and struck blindness into them. Uh, the eyes of those who were struggling at the door and so that they did escape and the angel told Lot his, to get his family together and we'll deal with Lot next Sunday. Get his family together and get them out of town because this city was going to be destroyed. And it could not, I want you to notice, it could not be destroyed until Lot had left the city. And why? Because of Abraham's tremendous influence on God. He would not destroy Lot and his family just because of Abraham. Lot and his family would have been lost in the city had it not been for the determination of Abraham. You think you don't have influence in winning the lost to Christ? You're fooled. You pray and work and plead with God for the life or the lives of people, for God to have influence upon them, and you will see the influence of God working in a dynamic way in people's lives. Somebody's prayer caused somebody to come back to the Lord. It may be one person doing the praying. It may be a church doing the praying. But we know and we have felt it. I've felt it and many of you have felt it. The influence, the power of God just bearing down upon us to the point that we couldn't stand it any longer. And why was it so, so strong upon us? I'll tell you why. Because there was somebody like Abraham who had power with God that was praying for us. That's how. We need people in our churches like Abraham who won't let up Keep on praying and believing and confronting God, stepping out in front of him like Abraham did and said, look, I have a case here. I'm serious about it. I'm concerned about it. I want something to happen in this case. And if your life matches your words, God will stop in his track and listen to what you have to say. I believe that. you got power. Tremendous power in prayer. If you have the faith to back it up and not let up, not let go, stay with it, and God will bless you.
and you'll see results from your prayers demonstrated in the lives of people for whom you're praying. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.